Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome back to another installment of Tyrion's Tea Time. I am your host, Tyrion McCarthy-Kenny. And I want to immediately start out with a very fun, what I believe to be an impactful UFC fight night tomorrow night in Mexico City. Now, there are two fights in particular on this main card that I believe might result in a championship bout in the next coming months. First off, we have Moreno versus Royval, both in the flyweight division. Funny enough, Moreno and Royval's last fight both ended up as L's to Pantoja. Uh, Pantoja beat Moreno back early July via decision uh, in 2023, obviously. Then he recently defended his flyweight title, title versus Royval via decision in mid-December, mid to late December. Flash forward to now, two months later, Royval is back in the octagon again up against another tough opponent. Um, I'm not totally set on who I think will win. I don't really have a bull in the fight here. I don't really care who wins. Um, it's also probably better for me personally that I don't have a somebody that I'm rooting for uh, on the journalistic side of this. But Moreno has been very inconsistent, a, a bit streaky lately. And Roy Val is just off, also coming off a major loss um, to a belt and is already getting back in the octagon less than three months later on short notice because there was a fighter that pulled out um, that got injured and wasn't able to fight against Moreno. So Roy Val stepped in now. I mean, it seems a bit risky off the cuff, right? If I were a betting man, it just seems a little similar to a little Volkanowski esque. Um, not in the same fashion, of course, uh, Roy Val didn't get TKO'd. Uh, for the first time in his UFC career. Now, it's still, though, it's a crushing loss, right? It's a crushing loss to lose a belt like that. Um, he also previously lost to Pantoja, or Pantoja. Excuse me. I apologize if I get any of their names. Or I pronounce it wrong. I mean well. I got ridiculed on TikTok, of course, for this, um, which I partly wasn't even in the wrong for last week, but still. Uh, one of them, Tapora, I pronounced completely incorrect and i knew how to pronounce it i don't know why i said tempura uh i was probably hungry or something because that was a little weird back to the flyweight division all right thank you so if i were putting like i said it's a bit risky um i don't think his head's gonna be totally in it that's so that's such a short time from a devastating loss and it's such short notice i don't expect him to totally win this fight but since moreno has been very streaky very inconsistent who knows um and regardless of ask of the outcome i think it's going to be a pop popcorn worthy fight these are two high level strikers both times when they face pantoja they both significantly significantly outscore pantoja in all total strikes and significant strikes so i think it's gonna be a fun fight Absolutely. And I mean, Roy Val's grappled a bit. I mean, that's how Pantoja uh, choked him out last time or the time before this last time they fought. But we'll see. I think it's going to be a great stand up game. I I really don't know who's going to win here. I don't care as much. Um, but I think whoever wins could possibly get a If it's Roy Val, get a rematch with Pantoja or Marino again. Get another shot of the bell. Who knows? Um, but, okay. This is the fight I'm ex really excited for, uh, for obvious reasons. Ortega versus Rodriguez. Not only is it Ortega's first fight back since the last time those two met, which is kind of weird. 
Um, but whoever wins this fight could be facing Tempura in Spain for the belt. Or Temporia. I said Tempura again. I caught that one that time. I was like, wait a second. That that doesn't sound right. Temporia in Spain for the belt. It hasn't been openly decided yet, obviously, who's in contention for the belt. Um, it's not like the bantamweight division where you know Marab's going. If if whoever wins, Cheeto or O'Malley, you know Marab's getting it now. Dana said it. Sugar kind of agreed, whatever. This is a bit different. Nobody sat on it. Nobody had a performance. They're like, okay, that's the guy after. Obviously, Volk still has her is The rematch is still on the table. I I think it's unlikely. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I mean, Dana didn't really seem too giddy about it at the 298 uh, post-fight press conference. He probably agrees with what I said last week, honestly, which is not some out-of-the-fucking-blue thing. I think this is pretty much the... Everybody's kind of contention. I think this, everybody kind of thinks this, to be honest. He should not go back. He should take some time to recuperate. You should not try to bounce back in a, in a short amount of time. Um, literally, what I mean, he still had a few months in between. This would probably be even maybe even less than what he had this past time from uh, Islam to now to Poria. I don't know. Either way, take a year off, man. You need some time. You need to recuperate. You need to get your head right. You need to get literally get your brain right. Not even just mentally, but like physically get your head right. Uh, you got pounded twice in a row. That's not good for anybody. Um, I'm sure this is the consensus between everyone. Dana didn't really like it. So I think the winner of Ortega versus Rodriguez makes sense, right? So Ortega kind of brushed it off. A bit when he was asked um, if he deserved, if he should deserve the shot, but Rodriguez was all for it, and this was very surprising. He actually seen it actually really seemed to spark a fire for Rodriguez when he asked. He he kept repeating that he wanted to fuck that bitch up over and over and over. And I was like, okay, um, this is coming from a guy who's very respectful to his opponents most of the time. He even literally said in that same breath he doesn't want to fight Ortega because of how much he likes him, how much he likes his family. But this is his job. This is what he has to do, right? But when you see that fire come out, you're like, oh, shit, you know? Um, he just plainly doesn't like the guy, and he he literally said that. Uh, he referenced how uh, Taporia was calling it out on social media, talking shit, saying all this stuff, and it seems like he doesn't really respect it, and he doesn't like the cocky, sort of arrogant energy that Taporia embodies. So, I would 100% expect a Taborio call out if Rodriguez gets his hand raised tomorrow night. It'll be interesting. I don't know. Um, who see? Who who knows? To be honest, and it, it kind of sucks because their last fight, obviously Ortega got hurt. Um, he had a shoulder injury. Oh my god, shoulder injury. Uh, while they were clinched up and they were kind of grappling a bit. That ended. Rodriguez got a TKO for that, but it's really because he got injured. So now this is a kind of continuation for this fight. We'll see who the true winner is, and whoever wins might get a Kyle shot. So it should be interesting. Another fight that I'm actually pretty looking forward to, and I was excited that it was on this card, um, just out of pure curiosity and enjoyment, is Raul Rosas Jr. versus, versus Ricky Teresios. I forget how to pronounce his last name. I apologize. Don't. Don't at me on TikTok. Um, 
just because it's really just because Raul is, is a clear phenomenon. He has so much potential. I mean, he's the youngest UFC signing ever at 17 years old. Now he's 19 going on 20 fighting grown professionals. It's fucking amazing. Who doesn't envy that? Um, I don't know much about Ricky, but his last four fights have been all decisions. And that's typically not how Raul operates. So I expect Vegas to be right on this one. A minus 285 for a Raul. Raul. Oh my God. Raul. W, um, we'll see what happens. Here's my reaction next. All right, so now you can see I fucking thought about it. Post-fight, after the pre-fight, I was in debate whether I was going to put it at the end of the podcast to kind of, I don't know, draw some alert to the end of the pod so people listen throughout but obviously you could skip through whatever we're gonna put it right after so let's just get into it um it was actually a pretty good card i didn't expect it there's a lot of names i didn't know obviously on the prelims um everything since it was in mexico city everybody was pretty much dedicated for mexico um obviously not every fighter you can't fucking do that but a good pretty much like 75 percent of the fighters at least one guy was mexican or you even had other guys who were like oh i'm third generation mexican whatever the fuck that means um so a lot of guys didn't know didn't really think much of the prelims uh at first glance but there were a lot of good fights on there um First one really to mention, the only one I'm really going to mention was Aguilar versus Mendoza. Very entertaining fight. It was a battle throughout the entire fight, or entire three rounds. Um, it was extremely close. Obviously, it was a little controversial towards the end there, but Aguilar got the decision, pulled out with the W. I thought it was fair. It was one of those like really 50-50, you're going to toss up a coin there. Um, Mendoza, obviously, was a little more ammunated. Oh, my God. A little more animated. Didn't really like the decision. Obviously, he wants to fucking win. Didn't think he uh, lost there. But I thought the... I mean, I don't know. I can't really even say I thought the right guy won because it was that close. Good fight. Um, right when you get into the main card, Manuel Torres with another first-round finish. 14 first-round finishes out of his 15-2 and UFC record. That is insane. Three fights, three fights out of 17 total weren't first-round finishes. That's insane. Um, he called out Patty at the end, which would be very interesting. But I think, I think I Patty obviously has this sense of popularity. I mean, that's the entire reason, really, why why Taurus is calling him out is because Patty's top popular, internationally popular. Um, but I think Patty's going doing the same thing. Like obviously, he just fought Tony Ferguson. I think he's going to go after sort of bigger and badder names. Um, I think Manuel Torres will obviously get more and more popular, especially if this fir- this this fucking streak of first-round finishes is going to increase. Um, but until then, until he really gets a bigger name on the stage here, I don't think Patty's really going to is going to play into that. Um, I just thought. I think it would be a very fun, bloody battle, especially with these two going at it, but I just think it's a little unrealistic. Um, But he's got to take a shot, obviously. Unfortunately, uh, Rosas Jr. fell ill, couldn't fight. Um, 
It's confirmed, though, that they'll fight next week at the Apex during UFC uh, Fight Night 238. Um I was upset about that because it was one of the things, like, again, like I said, there's a lot of guys in the prelim I don't really know. Um, some of the fights were like, eh, there are a few hidden gems in there. Um, and Rosas Jr. was the third fight on the main card. And I was I was excited for that one just to see him fight. Um, and, of course, fucking minutes before he goes on, falls ill. And I guess now, obviously, I'm happy that they can go next week. It's not like the fight's completely canceled because then, obviously, there'd be a narrative of him ducking, whatever. Um, and I don't think he's really that guy to duck somebody. Um, so tune in next week. I haven't looked at the card yet, uh, UFC 238. Um, it should be all right. I don't know. But that one's going to be next week. So in case you're trying to tune in for that. Um, Zell Huber, I'm... I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name. I forget how to pronounce it. But the Zell Huber versus Prado fight was a fucking battle. Um, amazing. I mean, it was a battle in the sense of it was just very entertaining. It was bloody. It was, I mean, it went the full three rounds. Surprisingly, somehow, it was a amazing example of heart, of tenacity intensity it was it was great i mean this is why you watch fighting but don't get it twisted it was a thousand percent one-sided don't get it twisted um zell huber kicked the fucking shit out of prado but it was just such a courageous performance by prado didn't get knocked out he took some crazy fucking shots he was still in the game. Obviously, he has to protect his fucking face. So he's a little more he's a little more in there protecting his face. Um, but he still went out there. He was still throwing hooks, still throwing kicks um, going at him. But it was tough. It was a, it was a huge size disadvantage for him. I mean, Zell Huber is fucking huge and long as shit. And Prado has, I mean, I don't know. I feel like he has longer arms than it looks like, but... When he's in his orthodox stance, his arms looked like they're two inches. I mean, he looks like a small dude. So it was tough, but what a fucking fight. One fun of the night, or fight of the night, excuse me. Um, just a fucking bloodbath. Really entertaining to watch. Um, I'm definitely, Zell Huber is definitely going to be on my radar now. Um, really good. Featherweight fight, obviously. <sighs> Arguably the most important fight of the night, I think, uh, for most people. You previously heard, obviously, this is one I was most excited about. And it wasn't even close to a letdown. It was fantastic. Um, all the way up, literally from them going into the octagon, all the way to the finale, obviously. Ortega fucking rolling his ankle literally right before they're about to fight. And watching this guy just fucking shit his pants directly in the octagon. To start it off, you're like, oh shit, is this done? You know? Um, I was on the edge of my seat for him. You're, I'm literally on the couch over here just like, what the fuck? Is this going to completely fuck everything up? Is he... At first, I was like, oh shit, is he going to be like out or whatever? Is he limping? He's going to limp out. He was, but he, uh, he was kind of walking 
kind of pacing a bit, um, kind of doing these little hops, uh, just trying to, you know, it's like when you jam your finger and you're just kind of trying to shake it out, like you're just trying to get it out. Um, huge mental fuck for him, though, like major mental fuck and really could have fucked him. Um, and honestly, long term, there could have been serious long term implications for that mentally. And he even said in the post uh, fight press conference, too, that that was it was a huge major factor or mental factor for him, even just walking in to the arena. He was saying like I he was saying even during the injury process, he was still active. He was still doing stuff. So it wasn't like he just had this big bulk of time and then came back and everything kind of fell foreign when he's just going through the motions. But he said, it's way different than sparring. Once you get into this arena with 22,000 people screaming at you, booing at you, saying whatever the fuck they want, it ups the ante. It's, it's a completely different intensity. There's so much pressure. Um, and not to mention he's coming off an injury against that guy. Coming back for his first fight since that injury. Hasn't fought in a real fight, uh, at least in a UFC fight, since. Um, it's a little nerve-wracking. And then you immediately get into the octagon and fucking roll your ankle doing some little jump. Like, that's going to fuck with your brain. So, like I said, I'm on the edge of my seat, um, and, like, I personally even know how it come, how it feels, like, coming off an injury like that and competing. It, it physically doesn't feel the same. That body part just doesn't feel the same or muscle, whatever it is for you. Um... And you're you're already nervous of getting in that position again. You're nervous of re-injuring it, of feeling that pain. It's just a whole fuckstorm in your brain, right? And it fucking sucks. That happening, a little twinge like that, right before you walk into a death match. Yeah, it's going to be in the back of your head. It's not fun. Um, so I definitely was a little bit empathetic for him. Um, in that regard, and was nervous about the fight outcome. Um, I didn't have anybody specifically I wanted to win that fight, but I want a fair fight. I want to both people at the full strength. I want a good fight. So, yeah, I'm going to be a little nervous about that. Um, interesting storyline. And, like I said, we could t- absolutely tell it was. It definitely did fuck with his brain. This first round, Rodriguez came out with a fucking fire. A fire, passion, like never before, came out trying to take this guy's fucking head off. Um, absolutely tried to seize the moment. He came out of Ortega like my fucking dog does when she sees steak. It was like ridiculous. Um, just foaming out the mouth. Several knockdowns. Everything was connecting. Ortega literally looked like, at the end of the first round, looked like he just had a five-round fight previously before this. Um Seriously, he was fucked up. And if you look at him in the post-fight, uh, excuse me, press conference, he looks crazy. He looks a little crazy. Um, he was he was eating everything though. He took it like a champ. He took it like a champ. Um, but seriously, he then saved his ass. Um, second and third round, really the rest of the fight. Never seen that before. Um, he achieved top control most of the second round. Um, towards the end, he had a minute or so of just mean ground and pound, really busting up Rodriguez's eye. And you can see when they go back to their their coaches, Rodriguez doesn't have that fire anymore. It uh, it kind of came and went. And Ortega built up a ton of momentum, 
that carried him um, into the, I mean, you just would have expected, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of going off topic here. I'm just still on the blazing fire that Rodriguez had. It's just still in my mind. How does that just go away like that so quickly? And it was literally just one round. I mean, obviously that's a third of the fight, but he was so intense and he felt it through the screen of the TV. And immediately Ortega just gets control, top controller, kind of just like doing a little hand fighting, things like that. He's trying to uh, get into position, obviously, to submit him. And gets a ground and pound and fucks this dude's eye up. And that was it. Like, just gone. Um, it was raging a few minutes ago, and it was just clear as day that he lost all of his confidence. And like I said, Ortega, top control most of the second round, um, ground and pound, build up a ton of momentum, uh, carried on, and I don't know, he pulled it out. Like, there's not much else to say. He, he carried momentum, he did what he had to do, um, but it sucks because... In a way, Rodriguez really lost that fight himself. Obviously, Ortega executed the way he needed to, um, but it was kind of a letdown in that sense. It's one thing if Rodriguez turned it on the entire fight, or even I mean, even if it diminished a little bit, but he still had a fighting chance, um, and Ortega just pulls it out. Better man pulls it out, but clear as day. All confidence lost. Ortega just completely took advantage of that, submitted him, got the W, um, and it's a bummer. I really was expecting and wanted to see the fucking wind-up of Rodriguez versus Taporia um, in the next few months, but obviously, and we all know this, but Dana 100% confirmed that there's no shot right now that that's going to fucking happen after him losing. But just think about how good that lead-up would be of them beefing at these press conferences, over social media, all this stuff. It would have been so great. And I think those personalities clashing would have been so entertaining. Um, would have been fun for everybody. It would have been a Spain uh, v. Mexico battle. Um, that would have been interesting. There were a lot of different storylines. And now... We're in a weird fucking place. Like, we're in a really weird place. Uh, Like, obviously, so... So, just to break it down, Rodriguez versus Ortega, the consensus was, okay, whoever wins this fight gets title shot against Aporia. Pretty much. We all kind of know Volkanovski not really getting the rematch yet. Yet. Or at least a, a, a shot at the belt yet. I don't think... I think everybody knows that's not happening. Who knows? I mean, I could now. But I don't know. But Rodriguez lost, which was the obvious favorite for, for that fight, title shot. Now you have Ortega. And these pre-fight press conferences, he's already kind of ducking it. He's not really saying that he wants Saporia... He's not really saying he wants a title shot. Um, He's kind of being super vague about it, not really wanting to answer the question. And then, and you're like, okay, maybe he's just a little, he's not as confident about how this fight's going to go. And he just doesn't want to kind of shoot himself in the foot with that. I get that. I probably would be a similar way. 
But then you win this fight in a magnificent fashion. You beat a really tough to- opponent. And you still are ducking it. There were no, he didn't call out anybody. And he completely ducked the question at the end of the fight. And immediately said, oh, I see, I see Dana and I see Hunter uh, right over there. We'll, uh, we'll have a chat after or something. Like, just talk about, oh, we'll, we'll discuss it. But again, like, you'd expect somebody to grab that fucking microphone and say, fuck you, DePart, like, whatever. None of that. And it seems like he's ducking it and he doesn't even want it. So then you're at a weird place of like, okay, if it's not Ortega, if it's not Volk, who is it going to be? Right? Who the fuck is it going to be? Um, it's not going to be O'Malley. I'll tell you that. Um, I don't know. And it's, it's weird because a part of me is like, okay, maybe he wants a couple gimme fights, gain more confidence. But then it's like, dude, you just fought a major opponent and beat him when mentally the cards weren't there for you. So doesn't it doesn't it kind of give you more momentum of like okay, maybe I can go after this guy? I don't know. It just seems like he's not confident. Um it seems like he's not confident. And I think it's fucking weird. I can get it, but I think after that performance, I think it's weird. So, I think I'm predicting it's going to be another featherweight. I don't know who is it going to be yet. Then I'll fight Taporia. And then, what I think will happen is I think it's going to be a, a Ortega versus Volk again for then the title shot against whoever. It's probably, Taporia is probably going to beat somebody, um, especially if it's not one of these guys. Um defend his belt, and I think winner versus Ortega versus Volk gets that title shot. That's what I think happens. Um, O'Malley versus Temporia. Temporia, get the fuck out of here. I don't think that's happening. Um, and it definitely wouldn't happen in that quick of a turnaround uh, after the Cheeto fight. If he, won- if he wins, which I think he will. Um, and I've also heard uh, a couple good theories too of like, well, if they're going to Spain, well, wouldn't they have to do it? That wouldn't they have to cater to American time because of O'Malley's superstar and it's all this different stuff. And wouldn't you want to kind of have uh, two separate superstars and not pin them up against each other, especially when it's so uh, it's so new to both of them? You kind of want to ride it out with both of them because they're so huge. Um, I mean, think like Taporia already is fucking like astronomically big in Spain. He's already humongous over there. And then O'Malley obviously has been, I mean, now he's the champ, but he's had a good reign here for a bit. I mean, he's been very popular for a while now. So they're both extremely popular um, in their native places, and it would be kind of tough. Like, if you're going to, if it's going to be the first fucking event in Spain, you're making a new business with Spain, you have this huge new superstar who's from Spain, you're going to cater to Spain. So I don't think that works out, and especially with the turnover, it's gonna, I think it's going to be too close. Um, that's not happening. I did hear of a Sterling 
Deporia uh, fight. That is interesting. That would be super fun. Um, who knows what the fuck's gonna happen? But I think somebody else is gonna fight Deporia. I think Deporia's gonna defend, a, defend that belt. Then I think it'll be Ortega versus Volk for another title shot. We'll see. Um, on to the main event. Main event didn't disappoint either. It wasn't the main thing I was looking for, but it was still great. Um, Roy Val crying before coming in the arena was a bit interesting. Like, I heard in his interview with Ariel that he kind of, like, the entire time he walks out, he's kind of like, fuck, I don't want to be here. I wish this fight was canceled, all this shit. But I didn't know he was a crier. And I'm not giving him shit for that. It's whatever. There's a lot of emotions with that, super overwhelmed. And he's not, like, he's not sobbing while he's walking out. Not like that. Um, but you could tell something was going on, and I couldn't really tell what it was. But then the announcers obviously started, started confirming, and you're like, okay, um, that was a bit odd. But it is what it is. Fight definitely started out slow. Um, both just feeling each other, a lot of movement, uh, a couple light jabs, things like that, just like little shit. Um, it did have to get kind of pushed along a bit. There were some times where it was kind of just nothing. Uh, up against the fence, and the ref's like, "Okay, yeah, okay, you gotta, you gotta touch, you gotta start doing something. You know that was kind of throughout the fight, um, but then it kind of picked up as it went on. It would turn the, the Jets were turned on, as you want to say, uh, considerably. Uh, Moreno was landing a ton on on Rory Val to the point that he had a fucking small golf ball on the side of his fucking head. Um, looked a little crazy. I mean, this like it was nuts, but Rory Val almost. Got an arm bar as well, kind of fumbled it, and then he's thrown a fuck ton of shots too. I mean, it is a huge. I wasn't really expecting the arm bar just because of how big of a striking match it was. I mean, Roy Val himself threw 556 strikes alone. Imagine throwing five, five and a half hundred fucking strikes in one fucking match alone. Um, 775 in total between the two of them crazy but in the first round is really when it got weird uh, and I didn't love it until the last fucking I think it was 20 seconds um you can tell Moreno got tired and which was a is a common theme tonight obviously with the elevation I think it was uh what 7300 feet um I get that that's a big deal but you're also pro fucking fighters how about you fucking handle your shit how about you go there ahead of time Get used to it. Train there. Whatever. Figure it the fuck out. You're a pro fighter. I don't get it. This is what you want to do. Like, I would have I would have probably done my camp there if I were one of them. And that's obviously, um, there are more implications with that. Of course, I'm kind of being a, a bit harsh, but I'm also kind of not. Fucking figure your shit out. You're a pro fighter. That shouldn't be a problem. It's a pretty... Uh, easy thing to solve. He's got to be there and train there. I don't get it. Um, okay. But, so, I can tell Moreno got tired. He started doing body lock after body lock and just going nowhere with it. He would just lock him up and do fucking nothing. And he, it was stupid and it was terrible to watch and obviously it helps you with your control time. Um, but it's literally like getting mountain jiu-jitsu and just being a dead fish. It's like, come the fuck on, dude. Who the fuck likes that guy? Um, it sucked. 
And that's the one area that Royval had no issue with. He actually commented on this in the same interview during with uh, with uh, Ariel Huani and said he didn't train at all for the elevation since he lives in Colorado. And that's a valid excuse. And he was fucking right. He's like, I already live in a place where there's high elevation. Why the fuck would I need to train for it? And he was right. And it probably won him the fucking fight, to be honest. He did not slow down. He looked like Marab fucking last week. Um, he didn't slow down the entire time, and he was fine. And it was a good fight all in all. I think the right guy won. I think there was a little controversy. It looked like Moreno didn't like the decision. He thought he won. Everybody's going to think that, I think. Um, but I think Roy Val deserved it, for sure. What I found so interesting, though, and I'm surprised I didn't hear this from more people, um, I'm really surprised about that, was how similar the Rod- Rodriguez, excuse me, versus Ortega fight was to this one, how similar these two fights were. I mean, Roy Val and Ortega both ended up with shoulder injuries, both were dislocations. Um, obviously, it's different when you get in the nitty-gritty of it um, in terms of what things tore and things like that. But two shoulder injuries, both dislocations, and they both happened while they were fighting the same guys they fought on this card. And they both fucking beat them. Am I the only one that thinks that's fucking crazy? I didn't hear one person mention that. Um, maybe that's my fault, but I think that's fucking insane. Also, Roy Val at the end, obviously won the fight, and he called out Pantoja. Obviously, Pantoja was in the audience. He, he has to fucking do it. Um, that's the guy with the belt. He's going to do that. I think it's very likely we're going to see a rematch. Um, UFC 301 in Brazil. It sounded like Dana was kind of on board. He he did uh, comment on his heart and him really going out there and getting it done. Um, especially to like obviously they fought several times, but they're I mean the first fought first fight uh, he got choked out by Pantoja, but this last fight in December went the full fucking five rounds, closer fight, and. I think based off that, then he comes back short notice, beats the number one flyweight in their division. I think that's cause. Um, Especially that it was short notice right after a loss like that, beats the number one guy. I think he definitely deserves that title shot. Um, I definitely, I really do think it's going to happen. UFC 301. And I'm not sure. I, I can't really... I'm still undecided on who I think would win that fight. Um, I think it was tonight was a huge confidence boost for Roy Val, and I think I really do think he has a legitimate shot to win it. Um, and I think he'll get that title shot back. So, all right, that was UFC Fight Night 237. Now let's get into some NBA. All right, so I want to spend some time on this because now it's the second time in the middle of the season a coach has been fired. Okay, so far this 2023, 2023, excuse me, 2024 NBA season, we have now had two head coaches fired from two possible playoff teams. 
Now, I'm sure I'm going to get some eye rolls for rolling the Nets into the playoffs conversation with them currently two and a half games from today uh, from the play-in. But it's not impossible, okay? So Jacques Vaughn got canned a few days prior to this recording, and it was especially weird because they just hired him on a multi-year extension. So that was kind of odd. Over his two-plus years in the Brooklyn Nets bench, he came up to a winning record of 71-68, but he went 0-for-8 in both playoff appearances. So far, the narrative is that Mikel Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's funny enough not even on the roster anymore, um, and others were not thrilled by his plan to center their, their game around Ben Simmons, which I can understand mostly for Mikel, Mikel of course, Bridges, um, since he's more of a high-level player. But I'm sure that plan to get Ben Simmons, or I'm sure that plan was to get Ben Simmons back to his old self. I I feel like that's just obvious. Um, I mean, who knows? You could have been a, a rat, an irrational fan of the current Ben Simmons. I don't expect anybody to be like that, so that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but for their sake, if they imagine they got Ben Simmons back to his old self, to the M- the all NBA Ben Simmons. I mean. This team would be an automatic play, possible playoff team. I'm not saying that they'd be a major major threat out of the East right off the bat or anything like that, but their team would improve exponentially. I mean, imagine having old Ben Simmons, Mikel Bridges, Nick Nick Claxton, and Cam Thomas, and if you rein in Cam Thomas, obviously, um, that would be pretty good. I mean, I feel like that'd be equivalent to how the Knicks kind of got better um, in terms of their overall improvement. I feel like that's not that far off. So it'd be a good battle in New York. So if that's really the reason, and if that really was his game plan, I think that's ridiculous. Um, but they chose to fire the good man, so we'll see where they end up going. Um, Bucks, obviously, Adrian Griffin, his firing was right before Jacques. And it was more, uh, I mean, not... A little more, but a lot more of a national story. I think it's, I think the Brooklyn firings just start coming out a little bit more because now there's a little more drama. But Adrian Griffin's saga was kind of going on the whole time. Obviously, for, for regular listeners, I did make some comments on Adrian Griffin before, probably a few weeks. I don't know. It was, it was like maybe two months before. It was the beginning of the season. I saw him in some press conferences. Did not like how he conducted himself. Was very he wasn't articulate at all. He seemed a little nervous almost in, in the bright lights. It was just it was just weird. And they were never good. It was never good answers. And it wasn't like a pop answer. It was like I'm fucking shitting myself right now. Answer. I didn't love that. So I kind of understood. But then when I looked a bit deeper into it, then I was like, okay, I get it. Obviously, their championship contender. But it's been a soap opera in Milwaukee the past years, and I feel like it goes unnoticed a bit. First, it was Larry Drew, 2014. Fired after an awful first season, resulting in 15-67 and 67 record. Okay. Then came Jason Kidd. Three years, 2015-2018. Who, like Adrian Griffin, also got fired midseason due to some 
struggles during the season um, seemed a bit dramatic uh, since they were kind of building up steam and starting to emerge out of the East. They were kind of becoming the contender that they are now. Um, but who knows if, if they would have won a chip without uh, Mike Budenholzer. Who knows? After Kidd, obviously, came Budenholzer, 2019 and 2023, who, along with Giannis, really flipped the script in Milwaukee. His record with the Bucks was 271-120, 69% win-to-loss ratio, which is phenomenal, and he helped bring the Bucks a championship for the first time in 50 years. I feel like that should not go unnoticed. 50 years, okay, with that record? Are you fucking serious? Pretty remarkable four seasons, and it really seems like he was solely fired for last season's playoff loss of the Heat, which... I understand he didn't make enough adjustments on Jimmy. There were some blunders down the stretch they took responsibility for. Um, and let's comment that Giannis called him out on it in the press conference with the adjustments on Jimmy. Um, I guess it wasn't so blatant, but they were asked about it. He was like, he said, yeah, he didn't make enough adjustments. So I don't know. Take it out. You want to. I've always thought it was extremely premature, extremely irrational, way too emotional. Um, Yes, the eighth seed beat the first seed. But the entire year, everyone knew they were better than their record. They were nicknamed the Zombie Heat for a reason. And if they only waited until the playoffs were over, if they waited for the offseason, they probably wouldn't have made the same move. Right? You would have seen that the Heat were were a final team. And they weren't just a final team. Jimmy dominated everyone. It wasn't even like it wasn't a contest. Jimmy literally murdered everyone. Okay. He played on an insane level. A MJ LeBron-esque level. More of LeBron-esque level because he didn't end up winning the chip. Haha. So Come on, guys. Like, what the fuck? I get the eighth seed, one seed, whatever the fuck. But, dude, they murdered everyone. Jimmy murdered everyone. There probably wasn't an adjustment to be made. It wouldn't have worked. Jimmy was too hot. That This firing always upset my stomach. It was ridiculous. It was so clear how good he was, how impactful he was for this team. And... They lost one time to an eighth seed, and he freaked out. And the eighth seed went to the chip and beat out every other good team. So, come on. It was ridiculous. It's upsetting. Then after Budenholzer, obviously, came along Adrian Griffin, who was fired about half a season in with a fantastic record. On paper, it makes zero sense. He was a first-year head coach with an incredible 30-13 and record high seeding, and that's all with a huge change of personnel, right? And you'd say, well, it's a whole new team for him anyway, so it doesn't matter that they got new players. Well, actually it does because all those players that were there before the new additions had, weren't adjusted. So he still has to work through all of them meshing and gelling still, even if he's new. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here, but of course, when you dig a bit deeper, 
there were some in, I mean, not some, there were several internal issues among him, the players, um, and then him and the members of the coaching staff. So via the athletic, there are reports that he yelled at his lead assistant coach, Terry Stott in front of the whole team during their training camp. Griffin told the team's assistant coaches that he wanted to have a separate huddle with them after they finished the huddle with the players. When the huddle with the players concluded, Stotts went to speak to Damian Lillard and Giannis. As Stotts attempted to start a conversation with Lillard and Giannis, Griffin called the Stotts to join the, the coaching huddle. When Stotts asked for some time with the players, Griffin yelled for Stotts to join the coaching huddle. The incident occurred in front of the entire team. Uh, sources said uh, this led actually to Stotts actually resigning from his job. So it wasn't like he just yelled for him to come back. I think he screamed at him. I think he he let loose on him in front of everyone. Then in December, Chris Haynes via Bleacher Report reported Bobby Portis openly called out Adrian Griffin in front of the whole team after their in-season tournament playoff loss to the Pacers. Then after that, it was reported that there were steady rumblings for weeks from Giannis and other Buckfets about their displeasure with Adrian Griffin. So as you can see, in only a short amount of time, there were several internal issues and to top that off they had unreal defensive issues in the beginning of the season um and there was a ton of criticism so criticism excuse me for not using Lillard effectively um so when looking looking deeper it didn't strike me as unusual um as doc rivers thought it was but what did provoke some researching was two coaches being fired in the same season now in in the middle of the season, in the same season. I thought that was a little nuts. I've personally never heard of that before. Um, now, I couldn't find what the record exactly was for that, but I did find some several more examples that I was very surprised to see. So let's run through a couple interesting ones. David Blatt, uh, who's the Cavs coach back in 2014-2016, uh, during the 2014-2015 season, his Cavs team's finished 53-29, and 29, second in the East, and made the NBA championship. LeBron was supposedly not involved with this one, but his buddy Lou got the job. So I think Giannis is taking a little notes out of LeBron's book here. Yeah. So Jerry Sloan is coach for the Utah Jazz from the 1985-86 season all the way to the 2010-2011 season. That's insane. He was the head coach for every year except four of them. Wild longevity here. I've also never really heard of that. And ultimately resigned due to a clash with Darren Williams. He he literally hung up like 20 years there and said, not doing it. Because Darren Williams was a prick. Don Nelson in 2004-2005 season got booted from the math at the end of the season after having a 42-22 and record due to the divide between his and Cuban's relationship. You know how bad your relationship has to get if you're getting booted 64 games into the season with a fantastic record? That's insane. That's really insane. That's insane. Paul Silas, 2004-2005, got canned from the Cavs. Another LeBron team, why don't you? Shocker. With 18 games left in the season with a 34-30 record for the Cavs. Cavs just felt like they weren't seeing enough consistency. Don't know if that's LeBron. Don't know if that's Bronze. Who knows? Byron Scott, 
New Jersey Nets coach during the 2003-2004 season, went to the finals back-to-back times during his second and third year. Didn't make it his fourth, even after a 22-20 start. Um, And they still wanted to change. It sucks. There's so many examples, and it really sucks because a coaching job is not a great job, really. It's a job where you expect to get fired, even if it wasn't totally your fault. I think people forget that players actually need to execute in order for coaching to work. Obviously, there are adjustments to be made given to your player's personality and game. But either way, players need to execute. And it's unfair to keep throwing coaches under the bus. Yeah, there are some bad apples 100%, but there are a plethora of good coaches out there that just have players that don't execute and they get the shit under the stick. And it sucks. And we got to stop doing these to coaches. All right. So we are back. And this has been a segment in my head for literally years now. And I just wanted to give you my two cents on it. So it's been an active debate about when this new epidemic started. But regardless of what you believe, In the last few years, woke slash political correct movies and TV shows has hit a new peak, and I can't stand it. Shocker. I wish there was some sort of stock for this, because I think I'd be considered Buffett by now. And what I feel is, what I find weird is really their longevity. They don't seem to slow down, but a lot of them bomb hard. The Marvel, the Marvel, uh, well, I think it's the Marvel's movie uh, last year in all Avengers, essentially pretty much remake, um, was the lowest grossing Marvel movie in history. And instead of thinking, okay, people don't really seem to like this because it's not just the ratings. It was a social media phenomenon for two, three months of just shitting on this movie. Absolutely shitting on it. So again, instead of thinking, okay, people don't like this. Let's go back to the drawing board a bit. Let's make another movie about a fucking Beatle man. That was sarcasm. (laughs) That movie sucked too. They completely doubled down. And came out with Madam Web, which is a movie about a psychic woman who teams up with three other women to fight Ezekiel Sims. And they're all rip-off Spider-Mans, even the evil Ezekiel Sims. Yes, their bad man is a fucking Spider-Man. Literally. And I know there's a plethora of comic book lore in this. It's not like they randomly invented all five of them. But I don't get the rationale after your old woman casted Avengers movie just bombed. And guess what? Drum roll, please. I don't know if you can hear that, but I'm making some drums. Madam Web has now the lowest ticket sales for a superhero movie ever. Fucking ever. It's not rocket science here, guys. Stop trying to change the fucking paradigm and make something that people want to watch. People want to see 
the freakiest of people, whether that's determined by strength, athletic ability, skill, whatever the fuck it is. I mean, this is why women's sports are not popular. None of them can walk into a pro men's league and just school them. Doesn't work in MMA. Doesn't work in basketball. Fucking doesn't work in football. Not hockey. Not soccer. Did the USA women's team lose to a fucking high school team? That legit happened to a men's high school team? When the fuck does this happen? It's something like it's a lot more black and white in the superhero context just because it's it's how it is. But it's happening all over the place. Trust me, all genres. They recently came out with the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith television series where they're both where they're both black and Asian now because they can't be white. Uh, This was a huge one. The Little Mermaid that came out last year. Now she's black. They're coming out with a new Project X movie, supposedly called Project XX, where the lead cast is all women. The new Percy Jackson remake in a show version, where now every character is a different nationality, and it's completely different from the book. Ghostbusters, back in 2019, all-woman lineup. There are so many examples, and most of those fucking films that were made sucked, Okay. They fucking sucked. And that's not even going through what I said within the movies. And for the record, I don't think having an all-woman lead is bad. I love The Bridesmaids. It's one of the best women comedies of all time. Uh, I just finished the latest True Detective season where the two main characters are women. And they do it great. And I absolutely loved Get Out, just like everybody else by Jordan Peele, which got heavily criticized due to the supposed outlook on racism in America, which I completely disagree with if that's true. But the difference between the movies and TV shows that I just mentioned compared to the ones I listed earlier is that they're genuine. They get out one, obviously, in question, depending on what he said. But the other ones are genuine. The movies that I previously listed seem completely disingenuous with their casting roles change and their, their changes. Once this woke narrative got some traction, everybody decided to make a remake of something to make it politically correct in today's age. And that's what's disingenuous. And you can almost see it. You can feel it watching the fucking screen because it just feels so artificial. It's It sucks. And luckily, I don't think this is going to last forever. I think majority of the people really don't like it. And I mean, there's plenty of people online that will talk about it and protest against it. Um, It's all going to fade, I think, at some point. I mean, our political beliefs as a nation will start to sway at some point, 100%. You look at what the definition of a Democrat or Republican was back in the 80s, compared to a Democrat and Republican today, it wouldn't match. Everything is subject to change, whether it's negative or positive. Hopefully this one changes for the better. And that's a wrap. I hope you guys enjoyed the pod. Don't forget, we are putting out full video podcasts on YouTube and Spotify now as well. Go check those out. I'll see you in the next one. Peace. Damn, only 26 minutes.